This is the uh, 23rd Psalm, so the third time to hear this well-known and inspiring piece of God's Word. It's page 555 in the Church Bible. This was given by, uh, to, to us by God through David the Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wonder who is the person you most trust in this life and how you've developed that trust over the years. I guess for those of you here who may be married, um, could be your husband or wife, assuming that they have loved you and stood by you through richer and poorer times in sickness and in health. For those who are single, it may be parents, it may be family, it may be close friends. As Christians, we are those who put our trust in Jesus Christ. That is what defines us as we looked at this morning. We believe that because of the love that he showed to us when he, he died for us and rose again, we can trust that our eternal future is secure, that we have nothing to worry about. A lot of what it means to trust somebody is that we don't need to, to worry. If we trust the doctors, we won't worry about our health. We trust the teachers. We won't worry about our, our children's education. We trust the, the government. We won't worry about the future state of our country. Our evening service uh, sermon series um, at the moment is looking at different uh, psalms. And um, this evening we're looking at psalms of trust. And one of the greatest examples and one of the most familiar psalms is this psalm that uh, we've heard read in different ways to us this evening, already three times, but it's good just to focus and meditate on those words, however familiar they may be to us. It's a very powerful song, and partly because it's so personal, and uh, we can all relate to it in our different situations. But it teaches us this psalm a lot about trusting God. What is it that it teaches us then about trusting God? Well, the first thing it teaches us is that he's given us all that we need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Why is that uh, that image shepherd? Well, because it conjures up the image of someone who cares for those who are helpless, who have no direction in life, a sheep. As human beings, as we read out earlier on in the Bible, it describes us uh, as all being like sheep, all who have uh, gone astray, all who have turned to our own way. But we don't need to worry because 
we have someone who will give us all that we need. Not all we want or all that we would like, but all that we need. I do wonder sometimes whether it would be much easier to, to live somewhere where no one has anything, where there is nothing to covet and you are content with the little that you have because everybody has the same little amount. In 89, I was living in Berlin when the, the wall came down and suddenly a whole new world was opened up to the, the East Germans there. And they came flooding over and there were all these goods before them they'd never seen before, they never knew, were available. The only problem is they didn't have the money to be able to afford them. And that led to much greater discontent than they'd, they'd actually known before. But the psalmist here is not talking about material things. What is it that we need? Well, it's what we've been looking at in 2 Peter 1 in the mornings. Let me read to you that verse from 2 Peter 1. We've uh, looked at a couple of times in in previous weeks. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The thing we need most, the thing that we have put our trust in Jesus Christ for, is life. There are other ways of expressing that, eternal life, salvation, a relationship with God. In the words of the psalmist here, he says, he restores my soul. He's given us spiritual peace. And he uses these physical images here, which are very powerful of describing that inner peace. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures, not the, uh, the desert places, the, the rocky ground, the scrubland. The green pastures where there's life. He leads me beside quiet waters, not the uh, roaring waves of the sea, not a lake that has been whipped up in a, in a storm, not flood waters or wild water rapids, but quiet waters, the still calm of a lake. They're lovely expressions of peace and tranquility. What is this peace, though, that he, he gives us? It's the peace that comes from being made right with God. We know how much a broken relationship, a, a strained relationship, can affect us, it can trouble us, it can cause us sleepless nights. A broken relationship with God will affect us for eternity. And so to trust in Jesus for life is to trust that we've been made right with God, that there is no longer a broken relationship. We've been reconciled to him. And what that means is that when the rest of our lives are troubled for whatever reason, and we feel like we're in a boat being tossed around uh, in an ocean, we can still find peace in God. We need life, and we need godliness. We need to grow in Christ-likeness, again, as we've been looking at in 2 Peter in the mornings, which is another way of saying, as the psalmist says here, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Another thing that often troubles us is the, uh, the decisions that we have to make in this life. They may be big decisions, they may be small decisions, but um, they can trouble us. Here it says God guides us. How does he guide us? Well, he guides us in paths of righteousness. God has taught us in his word how we should remain on those paths of righteousness. That is why his uh, 
word is described in the Psalms as a, a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. That's why in answer to the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? It comes by living according to your word. As we read, as we obey God's word, we will know the paths to follow. But you might say, well, what about all those decisions where the Bible just doesn't give us that level of detail? What job should I take? What should I spend my money on? Well, the key is there in the words, for his name's sake. It's not just doing the right thing, it's doing it with the right attitude. It's doing it to please God. And that goes for our personal decisions, that goes for our our church decisions. There will be a lot of things we uh, disagree over in church life, but there may be no clear direction in the word that tells us what we should decide. And that's where we look at biblical principles, in terms of the the, uh, command to go and proclaim the gospel, the command to use the gifts that God has given us, for his name's sake. I don't think it's um, too serious if we make unwise decisions as long as our attitude is right and we've decided that we're doing it for his name's sake. I think what God does mind is if we do things that are for our name's sake or if we don't do anything because we don't trust that he will give us what we need to do what we're doing for his name's sake. So as long as we are united on these primary issues, we don't need to allow differences over minor decisions or strategy to divide us. We can trust God because he's given us all we need. We can also trust God because he is with us in times of despair. Have a look at verse 4 there. There's a notable change here um, in the way the psalm goes. We move from the, the green pastures the quiet waters, to the valley of the shadow of death. And accompanying that change is a change in the way the psalmist talks about God. He's been talking about God in the third person. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. He guides me. But now it's, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. It's great to read in the, uh, the paper yesterday, this um, headline. Probably follow the story of uh, Fabrice Mwamba, um, who everybody thought had died when he had a cardiac arrest on a football pitch, and uh, medics were trying to resuscitate him for um, over an hour. This is the, the headline in an interview with him. If God is with me, then who can be against me? There is nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear. And the interesting thing about this middle section of the psalm is that if the Lord is my shepherd and he leads me beside quiet waters as he guides me in paths of righteousness, how then is it, though, that I end up in the valley of the shadow of death? Has he allowed me to to get lost? Is it my sin that's taken me in this direction? I don't think that's what he's getting at here. It's more about the tragedies of life, the difficult times, the illnesses, the bereavements. Things are a a part of this fallen world in which we live. But things also over which God has control. And so we end up there because effectively God leads us there. 
Why, why would he do that? Well, because our trust in him grows through those dark times. If our lives remained on a very even keel, if we never experienced a, any trial or tribulation, then we wouldn't achieve that depth of trust in God that we do when we go through the tough times. It's in the valleys that we are drawn closer to God. Yes, there is a danger that in the valley we might get uh, angry with God, we might uh, reject him. But there's probably an even greater danger that in the green pasture that we might become satisfied with the grass and forget the shepherd. Probably used this illustration before, but um, once we were in Brazil, we took off in a small six-seater plane. And when we took off, there was bright blue skies. We were heading off to to an island just off the coast. And uh, it wasn't long before ahead of us we saw this black wall of cloud. We were heading for a storm. And uh, there's one thing heading into a storm in a jumbo jet, but to fly into one in a small plane is not uh, the... uh, the the best of things to do, pretty frightening experience. And it was scary as you're getting chucked about. But as we came through and as we landed on this land strip on the, the island, suddenly everything was clear again. We were in this beautiful paradise. And that is often the way that God takes us through the Gat Valley, but he brings us through the other side. He uses those tough situations in our lives to enable our trust to grow, But he doesn't abandon us as we go through them. He doesn't leave us there. He brings us through to the other side. And so this psalm finishes on a great note of hope in verses 5 and 6. Because he wants to bless us. Have a look at what it says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's something really nice, isn't there, when you're invited to a a wedding and you enter the reception room and uh, there's your name on a table that's been laid out specially for you and all those nice little touches that uh, these people put on them. The host wanted you to be there and they've put a lot of thought and planning into making sure you enjoy that occasion. And it's like that with God. As we come through the hard times, he's prepared a time of pleasure and joy for us. In the presence of my enemies, it indicates that even they will not prevent us from enjoying the blessings of God. And the reference to the the psalmist's head being anointed with oil, his cup overflowing, it's about a present blessing, God's generous provision, his, his protection that we experience now, but there's also a looking forward to a future blessing. That goodness, that love that will follow us, that God would pursue us all the days of our life as he longs to pour out his blessings on us. And trusting that he will bless us now, he wants to bless us now, and he will bless us when we go to be with him. is not feeling like a an unwanted guest, a sort of last-minute invite because others have dropped out. It's knowing that he loves us. He loved us before the beginning of time. A promise of blessing is not a guarantee that everything will go well in this life. But when a cup does overflow in this life, 
It gives us just a glimpse of the life to come when we will be enjoying that cup that overflows forever. There will be no more pain or darkness. We'll never be in the valley of the shadow of death again. What can we desire more than anything else as we look forward to the life beyond this one? Is it the pleasures of heaven? Or actually is it the fact that we will dwell with the Lord forever? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're about to come round the, um, the Lord's table.